on today's Moody Presents. There is a love that propels you, inspires you, motivates you, pushes you on. There is a love that cannot be contained by your heart, and it's called the first love. The love that they had for Jesus and God at this time, the quality of it had decreased. This is Moody Presents with Mark Job, and today we're looking at one of the seven churches in Revelation that God addressed very specifically. Now, if you're just joining us, we're still in our deeper series that is taking us beyond shallow spirituality. But now we're moving from the Old Testament life of King David to the very last book of the Bible. That's Revelation, of course. Now, as we begin, how many of those churches, those seven churches, can you name? Don't worry, I won't give you a quiz this morning. Let me just go ahead and list them for you. One, Ephesus. Two, Smyrna. Three, Pergamum. Four, Thyatira. Five, Sardis. 6. Philadelphia 7. Laodicea Did you get all seven of those churches? No worries, we'll revisit every one of them. Mark Job, president of the Moody Bible Institute and founding pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago, is our teacher here on Moody Presents. He's going to take us right to Revelation chapter 2, a focus on one of the seven churches, the church at Ephesus. Here's Pastor Mark. These letters are somewhat unnerving, how would you like to get a letter from God evaluating your spiritual life? The God that sees all things in secret and in open, He knows your thoughts and He knows your attitudes in your heart, and help me Lord, He knows how you drive. <laughs> I just had a terrible experience recently because I, I was on the expressway driving into uh, our Lincoln Park campus for our 9 o'clock service, and I was a little distracted, and I was going a little fast on the expressway. And I, my mirror was down because I have kids in my car, and so how many of you parents point your mirror at your back seat instead of back there? So mine was pointed at my back seat, and I didn't realize I was being tailgated by a state trooper for a while with his lights going on, and I thought I saw a flash, and then I realized, uh-oh, he's behind me. And I wondered, how long has he been behind me? <laughs> so I glanced down at the speedometer, and sure enough, I was going a little over the speed limit. Don't ask me how far. That's between me and God and the state trooper. <laughs> and so I pulled over, and he comes to the window and rolls down, and I'm saying, sir, I, I didn't know you were behind me. I'm so sorry. I'm pulling out my insurance card. And he looks at me. I kind of look at him like we know each other, don't we? And he says to me, pastor? Uh, I said, yeah, I'm a little late. I'm a little late to church. He said, oh, this is awkward. <laughs> hey, I want you to know I didn't try to talk my way out of a ticket. I didn't say have mercy, I'm your pat. I didn't say anything like that. I was ready for any consequences. And he said, all right, all right, pastor, go in God's speed. 
Now, I, I think he said Godspeed just to throw me off because the whole trip I'm thinking, what does Godspeed mean? Was he just saying, go with God's blessing or was he telling me, hey, go in the speed that God convicts you to go in? I, he, he was messing with my mind. But there are areas in all of our lives that God is seeking to sanctify. He, he, he's seeking and we believe that this is our season, that this is our time, that this is the moment that God is saying, before God can do great things or manifest his power, first of all, there has to be a cleansing within his people, an inward look, an introspection among the people of God that examines their soul and says, God, if you were to pour out your power, is my soul and my spirit and my heart ready for it? Uh, Revelation chapter 2, there's a letter written by the Spirit of God through the hand of John the Apostle from the island of Patmos in which he received this revelation. I've been to the island of Patmos and uh, it's a beautiful island right now. But John wrote this letter inspired by the Spirit of God and he wrote to seven churches these were somewhat of a report card on the condition and the state of those churches. Now, Ephesus, if you know anything about Ephesus, Ephesus, the church of Ephesus started in revival. I mean, it's quite a story. You can read it in Acts chapter 19, what happened in Ephesus. Ephesus was this big cultural and religious center of the day, the temple of Diana was one of the seven known wonders of the world. There were 127 pillars that were seven foot high. People migrated from all over to uh, visit and venerate the goddess of fertility, which really ended up being sexual immorality, even in their act of worship. But the Apostle Paul, this fiery, committed, convert who had experienced the power of God in his life, he, he went to the city of Ephesus and he ran into some believers that were disciples of John and he asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit and they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so uh, Paul prayed for them and the power of God fell upon this gathering of believers and revival started in that place. In fact, if you read in Acts chapter 19, you'll read that the, the power of God was manifest with so much strength that they were taking handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched the apostle Paul and those handkerchiefs and aprons were touch other people and healings were happening because of that. If I saw that on TV these days, I would chalk it up to weirdos. <laughs> but this was legitimate. The power of God was manifest there. People were experiencing healing and deliverance and there was a buzz in the air about the power of God that, that this supernatural God had come to Ephesus. The temple of Diana that had attracted so many people, they were in an uproar. The Bible tells us that there were a couple uh, uh, men in those days that had heard about the power of Jesus. They were called the sons of Siva, and there were seven of them, and they decided that they would capitalize 
on the deliverance power of Jesus, and so they started their own exorcism business, Siva Exorcism Incorporated, where they went around saying, if you have a demon, we'll cast it out in Jesus' name. And they didn't even know Jesus, but they heard of the power of Jesus, and then they ran into a demon that was a little smart. And the demon said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And the Bible says that this demon-possessed individual jumped on these seven sons, battered them up, and they ran out naked and wounded. I mean, things like that were happening. The, the gospel began to spread with so much power that a bunch of sorcerers and witch doctors that had practiced black magic and, and done their voodoo stuff over the people became so convicted that they took their parchment with all of their sorceries and incantations and they brought it to the street and there was a massive bonfire. They burned hundreds of thousands of dollars, their business, they, they burned it there and they wept and they repented and they turned around. So much was the stir of the city that the idol makers began to get nervous. The syndicate, the union that all the idol makers belonged to started saying, hey, this is going to take away our business. They, they worship an invisible God. They don't have statues. They don't have idols. We're going to go bankrupt if this thing spreads. And so they gathered thousands of people within the great amphitheater in Ephesus, and thousands of people chanted, great is Diana, long live Diana, bring to us those traitors. And I love Paul's boldness. The Bible says that Paul saw the crowd and he said, let me at them. I want to preach the gospel. And only because of these men held them back and said, no, don't. They're going to kill you. They convinced him not to go to that amphitheater. The gospel was exploding. It was in the midst of this environment that the church of Ephesus was born. Paul spent three years in Ephesus teaching uh, instructing, making disciples. There was a book called the book of Ephesians that was written to them. And we can tell from the letters of Ephesians that this was a mature, strong, stable church that was well grounded, that they were going somewhere, that God was doing something among them. Uh, people would have looked at that moment and said, hey, the world well, cannot contain this church. This is a church that's going to make a difference, impact the nations, turn the cities around. That's how they started. But now 30 years had elapsed since their beginning. How many of you know that a lot happens in 30 years? Oh boy, a lot happens. It was... 23 years ago that I met with a group of 18 people on the corner of 44th and Polina as we initiated what has now come to be called New Life Community Church. Not quite 30 years ago, but, but hey, it's getting close. It's getting close. And, and something happened there. This was not the same church that had started in the fires of revival. Oh, it was still a good church, don't get me wrong. 
It still had a great reputation among the nations, and people still went there. But I, I want you to see what the Spirit of God says to this church. It says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them false. You have persevered, you have endured hardship for not my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. I mean, the first part of this report card is great. He commends them on three things. He commends them, first of all, on their hard work. These were no slouches. I mean, they knew what it meant to come to God, and they had been trained well by the Apostle Paul. I mean, they worked hard. They made disciples. Their ministry was humming. People got there early to set up chairs. They had a prayer ministry. I mean, their tech team was on the ball. They were working hard at everything that they were doing. No one could accuse them of being lazy. What they did, they did well, and they did with a lot of energy. The second thing he commends them on is that they had persevered. It had been 30 years. There had been opposition. There had been obstacles. There had been people that had defamed them. There had been rumors. There had been persecution. There had been challenges, and they had not given up. They had stuck in there. Uh, they had, it says, hupomone, which means that they had continued on in the face of adversity. They had persevered. I mean, they were no quitters. They were no slouches. Well, a brief pause right now as we continue with Moody Presents. Again, our teacher, Mark Job, and we're discussing one of the seven churches that John addressed in the book of Revelation, Ephesus. And Mark will get back to it in a moment. Question, though, how would you like to enjoy a 50% discount off of everything in the Moody Publishers catalog? Imagine getting half off their entire line of Bible studies, DVDs, books for kids, devotionals, biographies, and more. This 50% discount, half off, is yours with a monthly partnership at $30 a month or more. It's pretty easy to set up online at moodypresents.org. Again, that's moodypresents.org. We've heard from so many people who are making that decision to become a monthly partner, and they're enjoying that 50% discount. By the way, it's not a one-and-done kind of thing, no. As long as you're a monthly partner, that 50% discount is yours. Head online to moodypresents.org and sign up to become a monthly partner. Now back to Ephesus and more of what we can learn from this loveless church. Here's Pastor Mark Job with part two of today's message on Moody Presents. And the third thing he, he commends them for is that they kept their doctrinal purity. Uh, just like today, there were all kinds of weird, wacky, devious heresies that were out there, but yet the church of Ephesus, they had read their scripture, they had studied the word, they had they had kicked out false apostles. They had come back to the gospel over and over. I mean, this was a church that you'd want your kids to go to. This was a good, solid, pillar, stable, foundational church. But you know, in your, uh, if you've ever gone to a parent-teacher conference, the teacher always starts with all the good things. 
And then they lower their voice and they say, but Mr. Job, there are a few issues. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I hold this against you. What is it? I mean, these are all great traits that make for an awesome church and an awesome group of people. What is it? And the Spirit of God says, but nevertheless, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Now, 30 years is a hard, long time to keep your first love passionate. I mean, think about it. Some of the kids that were 15, when the revival had happened and the demons were cast out and they burned all the parchments, now they were, hey, now they were 45. Now they're middle-aged. They have a mortgage. They have teenagers. You know, they have the, 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 the bills to pay, and they're thinking about the future of their kids. And Hey, they're not reckless teenagers anymore that can just throw up their arms and say, we'll live for Jesus no matter what. Hey, now they got responsibilities. They got a job, and they're moving up the ladder, and some have management positions. And hey, they go to church regularly, and they try to get there on time, and they try not to have a big fight over who's going to use the bathroom before they get there. And they tithe and they give, and they consider themselves, hey, pretty solid, good church members that believe in the vision and the cause, and they go to Bible studies, and they have all those things down, but yet, here's the thing, every generation has to experience its own move of God to stay passionate about the things of God. Because your kids cannot live off of your revival. Are you with me this morning? Because this is huge. This is huge. See, some of you are first-generation believers, and a whole bunch of you, probably, probably half of the people that come to New Life, you're, you're first-generation. I mean, you came to Christ, and a lot of you, hey, you have a lot, of, we got a lot of stories. A lot of stories. And some of us had really, really messed up lives and were really, really into it. And your conversion was dramatic. I mean, it was no, hey, let me go from, let me just switch churches. I mean, you were like bad. People walk into church and say, you go to church? <laughs> we have a lot of those stories. I mean, you experienced the power of God radically. I mean, you knew what it was to to repent and to have the power of God come in your life. And when your life changed, you didn't just leave a few things behind. It was radical conversion to Jesus Christ. Many of your friends abandoned you. Some, a lot of habits had to be left out. Some of you for the first three weeks didn't know how to talk because you just lost half of your language. See what happened? You've gone real quiet. Yeah, yeah, Lord, bless, pray. <laughs> There's so many blinks and blanks there that yeah, it took you a while to figure out how to talk without filling all the... I mean, you were saved and you knew you were saved. 
you were transformed and baptized and, 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 and delivered and changed and, and, and none of your family, many of your family members thought you were whacking out in some religious cult, cult because you took your Bible and you believed and you were living it and, and, and it's been real and it's been powerful and it's been a major life transformation for you. But some years have gone by. Hey, it's been 10, 15 years since that happened in your life. Uh, now you have kids and you're raising them. And some of, uh, some of our kids, all they've known is church life. You see, they grew up in the church. They never knew a time when you were out there drunk or high. They never heard those sailor words that used to come out of your mouth so much. You know what? They've been going to Sunday school, and they've been in Awana, and they've had to put the patch on their, uh, on their little thing for the verses they memorized, and they know the choruses, and they've been to soul purpose, and they've seen the baptisms, and you see, they've grown up with it. They've grown up in the culture. Hey, let me tell you, what a blessing. What a blessing. What a blessing that they haven't had to experience so much that so many other people have. Yet I want to tell you something. There's a danger in that as well. Because if you grow up in it, just part of life, uh, some of your kids can't remember a time when they didn't believe in Jesus. But there's not been that dramatic conversion at times that you experienced. They haven't necessarily seen that revival that you saw, the firsthand miracles that you saw. And so they grow up, and they see the culture, and they see the people, and they sort of become a little bit immune to it. And there has to come a point in, in time in their lives, and I pray for my children all the time, God, may they have an encounter with you beyond me or this church. May they have an encounter with you that awakens their spiritual life in a way that is irrevocable, life-changing. They know your word, God, but they need a touch from on high of you. Every generation does. Every generation does. And what the Spirit of God was saying to this church is, hey, you're a good church. But there's something that has happened over the years, something that's alarmed the Spirit of God. In fact, something so deep that God feels so strongly about it that God says, if it doesn't change, I'm going to snuff out your light. Now, some scholars have argued about what that means. I don't believe God was going to kill them. Neither do I believe that God was going to shut them down as a church. But I believe that the Spirit of God was saying, if you don't come back to your first love, you may continue to exist as an organization, but you will not have a real, true spiritual light that transforms people radically. How many of you know that churches can exist on and on and on, but not really, but, but, but sometimes it's been years since they've lost their impact. 
And so God says to these people, these, these people, this generation, he says to them, you've lost, you've left your first love. And this is not like they had lost it. And, and sometimes people say you've lost your first love. The word used here is you've walked away from your first love. You have departed from your first love. This was a series of decisions that you have made that has caused you to not to have the love that you had at one time. Now, what is a first love? Well, there's two things involved in this first love. There's the chronology of it, which means it's the love you had at first, but also there's the priority of this love, the quality of the love. And both things are implied in this passage, that the love that they had for Jesus and God at this time was different than their first love. The quality of it had decreased. You see, if I were to survey people in this auditorium today, I think probably 99.9%, if I were to say, well, do you love God? Do you love Jesus? You would give me a hearty, of course I do. What is the quality of your love for God? A challenging question today from our teacher, Pastor Mark Job. And don't forget that this message, as well as the entire series, is available when you visit moodypresents.org. You can listen on demand to the entire series, Deeper, Beyond Shallow Spirituality, at moodypresents.org. And every program that we've ever aired is just a click or two away. Also, send us an email, won't you? We'd love to connect with you, hear how God is using this program to encourage you, maybe challenge you in your life. Again, you'll find a link at moodypresents.org. You know, there's a natural tendency to degenerate to the level of spirituality around you unless you intentionally look to God and seek revival and refreshment. Have you noticed that? Well, next week, Mark will reveal ways to jumpstart the first love restoration process. Sounds complicated, it isn't, and you don't want to miss it. For Mark Job, I'm John Geiger. Thanks for listening today to Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.